All right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. And as usual for our Tuesday episode, we're with our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? It's going well. Um, I, I, I think we need to give uh, listeners a trigger warning that we're going to be talking about uh, romantic comedies at the end but of the- t- Towards the end. Towards yeah. the end. Do you think that's a triggering event? Um, I just think like a lot of people who tune into this, well, triggering is like- uh, Do you consider this podcast a safe space? <laughs> no, I hope yeah, not. I hope not. I hope, this, I, hope, I hope it's not a safe space. But if it is, it'd be weird because basically that would mean that the, whoever that is in my head, uh, <laughs> which in which case oh my God. I'm gonna have a co- I'm gonna have a COVID cough. I right? have bigger problems. <coughs> you have COVID? Uh, no, I don't. In fact, I just took a test because I came back into the United States, and it's funny because you're like, you know, you don't need a test to go into the UK, but you need it. You need to take a test to get back in the United States, as if like. Like, what the fuck? Like, what, what are they doing, right? Like, oh, yeah, like, there's not COVID here. Like, like <laughs> no, it's rampant. we don't want to bring any into the United yeah, States. Like, an right. American well, citizen. It's not Shanghai, yeah. Like, what, would I have to stay there a week, like, if I got if I tested positive? Yeah, which there are worse things than staying in London for a week. No, I, well, it wouldn't be cheap. But the um, the um I took one of those cool, like, digital ones, you know, that you hook up to your phone, like, that authenticates it. Q, uh-huh. Q, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have one of those. Yeah, they're it's cool. Pre- they're pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, I liked Very it. Um, so, uh Later on, we're going to be talking about rom-com, but we have to start with the news of just just right this second, yep. which is that Elon Musk's bid for Twitter has been accepted by the board, um, 50-something billion, yep. um, and he is now going to, I gather, own it. Yeah, uh, and take it private. So, look, I, in, in thinking about this, I think there are kind of three kind of macro ways to think about this and look at this. So the, the first is, is a business question, right, which is, is it worth $45, $50 billion of Elon Musk's money to own this platform? And I would say absolutely yes. Not because Twitter itself is a particularly great business and never has been, right? Do you, do you remember that Mark Zuckerberg quote about Twitter that's so funny? No. A clown car that fell into a gold mine? Yeah, but it's, it's not because they don't make that much money. Oh, unless he just said it like last week or something. No, no, he said it a long time ago. I mean, the, the, it, it's it's not. I don't think he was talking about that it made so much money, but that it's in. It's suddenly like you know, uh, like fortunate, lucky, you know, yeah, like you know, they're, they're these, these dopes who uh, like look, they made themselves relevant in a way that Facebook is no longer. So right, you know, um, but if you're Musk, if you think about it, look at the valuation of Tesla. Right, it is in no way correlated. To the actual economics of Tesla, right? right? So their revenue, their profits, however you want to look at it, and yes, well, it's, I, it's a worth a little over a trillion yeah, dollars, right? Yeah, for sure. And and yes, everything's trending up for them, so maybe it gets there one day. But the trillion dollar club is like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. You know, Tesla is not that, right? It's a fairly new car maker, but it's niche. He is so brilliant at hyping things that it creates a retail demand for the stock. Um, that ultimately keeps it far higher than it should be. So if he does that, has that helped sell Teslas, do you think? Like, do more people buy Teslas because it has some crazy, like, Maybe, stock price? but his, his money comes from the share price. So, I mean, I'm sure he cares how many they sell, but I think ultimately what he really cares right, about is— Right, but he doesn't sell that much of his stock. So, I mean, it's funny, like, he had to take a pretty big margin loan against against his stock to— I mean, not yeah, big for him, I, but big for call. normal yeah. people. Um, so it's not like he just has like a big pot of cash sitting around. No, but he can access it any time. Um, so enough. it's you know it's liquid. It's a public company. Right. So ultimately, the real thing for him is how do you continue to use social media, earn media, society broadly, to hype your port- your companies right. and make more money. So he's got he's got Tesla, but he also has SpaceX. He's got the Boring Company. He's got a couple of different. I didn't realize. You know, the Boring Company has no. 
proprietary technology, right? They just use the same shit everyone else uses. Yeah, but it's him. Right, so that's isn't the point. that funny though? It's just like it's literally like you think like Elon Musk, oh, money, he must be drilling with lasers or something. Yeah. But no, no, right. But that that's the point, right? So he has all these businesses that he could take public at any time he wants, and as long as he can use Twitter as a platform to maintain the hype around those businesses or even increase it, the share value, the stock value goes way up, and that's how he really makes his money. Now, do you think there's any like the history of guys like Elon Musk? Is bad, right? Like the bottom drops out at some point. Like the, you know, the the. I mean, I guess you could you could say that like maybe Tesla will be Ford Motor Company or something, you know, or like something that lives on for you know like a like a hundred years, but like the guys who live by that kind of hype, what's the what's the precedent for that guy not getting run over by a bus eventually? Well, so may, maybe there's not. However. Um, one, I think even though he is a hype machine and there's a lot about him that, that's not very good, he has done more to electrify vehicles than anyone in history by far, right? So if you care about climate change and you want to say who are the heroes to try to solve this problem, whether you like him or hate him, he's one of them. Okay. So, so one is he should get some credit. So okay. that's number one. Number two is, yeah, but... He the, has gotten paid for that. <laughs> yes, but if the hype ultimately leads to hundreds of billions of dollars in wealth, and then you can use that to purchase more influence, more power, more everything, then it becomes sustainable. Right. And, and generational. And what do you, th- what, like, but, but what does he do with Twitter? He just holds on to it and has a freer Eventually policy? Eventually he'll and- take it public. So I, I would imagine here's what he will do, and then I'll talk about okay. what I would prefer what? him to do. Okay. So what he will do is make it even crazier. Right. Uh, Trump will get reinstated. Marjorie Taylor. Trump Green. already said he won't go on it. I mean, uh, whatever. whatever. He's playing hard to get, yeah. obviously. But but he'll he'll reinstate it. There will be even less moderation of content. It will be more toxic and more controversial than ever. Right. Because that will generate a more eyeballs because right. people tend to respond to the negative stuff, and b more attention for Elon. So he cares about attention and money, and this is how he gets it. Okay. However. If he were to come to us and say, Hugo, Bradley, how do I use this thing to benefit society? Which I don't think crosses his mind at all. But if he did. But it does cross his mind to call me or you. He calls you a lot, so I guess so. <laughs> if, if he calls you later to talk about like soccer or Star Wars, you should try to slip this in. Um, so the answer is this, right? We have a country that is totally polarized, totally dysfunctional. People are unhappy. People hate each other. And one of the main contributors to that problem is Twitter. It has done more to divide society in a shorter period of time than probably any piece of technology in history. Well, yes and no, but Twitter's still tiny, though. Most people aren't on Twitter. My mom was never on Twitter. You know, you don't go yeah, on Twitter. But, like, but I, I don't go on it because it's a cesspool. But, right. it dry, but everyone in the media lives on it, and everyone in politics lives on it. Right. And as a result, it's not just reflected on the platform. It's reflected in all kinds of earned media coverage. and all. You know, it, it's all the other platforms uh, re- reflect Twitter because the people who live on Twitter and think it's the most important thing in the world are the people who shape public opinion. Okay. So so that, that's that's the business angle. Okay. From a regulatory, we've talked a lot about this podcast about right. Section 230, the Telecommunications Decency Act, right. um, which is a law that provides uh, immunity from any liability for social media platforms like Twitter for the content posted by users. Right. Um, Members of both like Trump and Biden, for example, during the 2020 campaign, both supported getting rid of Section 230. It's got pretty broad bipartisan support to get rid of it. I would have said— Why hasn't it happened yet? 
fucking Washington. Biden's fairly incompetent, and Washington's even worse because of Twitter, because it's so fucking dysfunctional and, and polarized. But it, we have noticed a little bit of bipartisan cooperation around tech regulation, like right. the antitrust bill that went through the Senate Judiciary Committee. Right. So if you would ask me, so the Republicans are going to have the House and the Senate uh, next year, right? Okay. And if you said to me, what kind of bill could get through Republican Congress and Biden, I would say tech regulation simply because both the left and the right are, for different reasons, are really pissed off at Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Right. However, that was when Twitter was being run by a bunch of n nobodies. Right. Now, the richest man in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world, all of a sudden really does not want that law changed because right. it would make him liable for right. everything. So as a result, he puts all of his influence and all of his money into it. The, if you were handicapping the odds of Section 230 reform happening, they went way down today. What is Elon Musk's, like, regulatory sort of track record? Pretty good. I mean, SpaceX, he basically has taken over NASA, right? right. I mean, he, he's made, he gets paid by the U.S. government to launch all of his rockets. Tesla was built on government subsidies and tax credits. Um, Sun, whatever his, his Sun Run or whatever his solar company, same thing. Uh, boring company government is the customer. So, yeah, I mean, right. he's basically made most of his money on the government one way or another. Right. So as a result, um, I think the odds of seeing a reform that I think is really important probably will not happen. And then the third is what we discussed. He will likely take this in an even more controversial and toxic direction, but he could do something differently with it. He could say, okay, this is a platform that causes a lot of strife, a lot of dissension, a lot of heartache. And it's good to have discourse, but we can do it in a way that is more reasonable. Right. right? And he could choose to moderate the content. He could choose to kick people off. But uh, it sounds like he's definitely readily. not no, going to do not. that. Right. But, but the sad thing is, if, if as goes Twitter, so goes the United States right now, he has the chance to really help fix society. Do you want me to get the violins going here in the yeah, background? No, you, you I know want a little, he's not going to do it. You want some like, um, no, like I know, I know. Music I'm, in the background? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not politically unrealistic as we know. But you're sounding very optimistic today, Bradley. Just Look, what listen, I was just like, the tone of your voice. Nah, you're just you like know. you're talking about the hope that Elon Musk does the right thing. I don't, yeah. As if you're not going to. And we're about to talk about Putin, where we're going to apply your, 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 your ten rules to Putin, and and. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're going to be too giving him too much of the benefit no, of the doubt. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I wonder what, what kind of relationship those two have. Um, I guess it's negative, Musk. right? Then they f threatened to fight each other or something. Did they? Yeah, there was something a couple of weeks ago where Musk was like, Sh "Should I? Should I?" Um, yeah, look it up. He was, okay. was going to fight him, and then I remember thinking, like, Elon, he's going to put a bullet in the back of your fucking head. Like, this is not like Twitter fighting. Oh yeah, yeah. There was yeah. like a fight thing. So anyway, so we'll, we'll see. But overall, um, I would argue Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter is bad for democracy and bad for society. Okay. All right. That's definitive word from Bradley Tusk. Um, we're going to talk about Putin now yeah. more, more directly. Um, you want to you explain what yeah, we're doing so here? Yeah, so here? here's why I asked Hugo to talk, that we could talk about this, which is when you read the coverage of what's happening in the Ukraine and you sort of read how Putin is doing – Everything is sort of gleefully negative for him. He is, you know, delusional. He is completely paranoid. He is isolated. You see the he video of him losing. holding the chair or holding the table? I did not did see, you that. see that. No. It's weird. But okay, fine. But there's all this stuff. But we, and therefore, because these things are going badly, he will behave in ways X, Y, and Z. Right. Right. And I think the problem is we're interpreting all of this through our lens of how we see the world, a very Western lens around it. Um, and a very short-term lens, and I don't think that's how he's looking at the situation. So if you want to try to analyze 
what's actually going to happen in the Ukraine, I think you got to really put yourself in his shoes and say, what does this guy truly care about? What does he need? What does he want? And how far is he willing to go to get it? Okay. And until you can answer those questions, and I thought the 10 rules that we established, you know, at least some of them uh, would apply well to this. So. Go ahead. Let's let's well. Let's start off with the first one, which is every policy output is a result of a political input, yeah. which is the true bumper sticker. Correct. Uh, of and, the and, and by the way, so politics in Russia is is him by and large, right? But if it were possible that the oligarchs or the reformers or anyone else could actually potentially oust him from power if he didn't stop the war in the Ukraine, he'd probably stop the war in the Ukraine. Yeah. Right? He is still dedicated to staying in office, just like every politician in the For world. For sure. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't seem like you know anyone has any power but him, which means for him, the policy input isn't uh, the policy output isn't like just what happens today or tomorrow. He wants to be seen as Peter the Great, right? In three hundred years, by the people of Russia. So that's the and political people, input. Is that's the, the political input, right? right? That he that he's going for sort of legacy greatness. Yeah, and and ultimately for him, that's what he cares about, and so. That's the lens for this. If you're looking at this in a couple of hundred year cycle, then like a, a bad, you know, a, a bad attack on Kiev or like a negative column in the New York Times. So fucking what? Well, he obviously doesn't care about a negative column in the New York Times. But the the, the question I have is, did you see that that um, uh, there was a story about the um, the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, yeah. that the sort of official policy goal... Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was surprised by that. ...of the United States is to have them basically get their military ground up and not be able to afford yeah. to rebuild it. That scares the shit out of me, I have to say, because isn't that the kind of situation where then Putin starts thinking about his nuclear arsenal? Like, like yeah. uh, I mean, don't you need him to have some military capability to prevent him from doing something truly insane? Yeah, well, I guess the question is, he, he's not crazy, right? So it doesn't well, seem like it. And I know that, that he's being portrayed as crazy right now, but this is a man who, my guess is, far smarter than most of our elected officials, far savvier and far more realistic. Um, that's how he has become a he's even richer than Elon Musk most likely right all through theft but nonetheless well, he could probably Musk have Elon Musk's money if he gov- wanted it government to. subsidies <laughs> yeah um, so uh, I think that ultimately he will if the goal is to make sure that Sorry, no no nukes are launched at any cost right which is why there are no American troops in the Ukraine right now because we are afraid of that outcome right um, is that why there are none I think so. Oh. I, th- I think the main reason is I mean, we got, the escalation. We got plenty of, our, plenty of our gear there. Yeah, but for whatever reason, they believe that there's a line between supporting the Ukraine and actually fighting Russia directly. Right. And if we sent in American troops, I think their fear is that could lead to n- nuclear escalation. Would you guess that U.S. sort of you know military technology is driving a lot of this? Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but by the way, it could be driving on both sides, right? So, you know, we send arms to places in the Middle East or other countries, and Russia could, could buy them from them, right? Well, so, I think, I think we'd know if that was happening, though, wouldn't we? If they were using would, 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 made weapons? Would we tell anyone if we knew? Uh, I think they'd get that word out there, wouldn't they? M- maybe. Um, but, but here's the thing I think he would only use nukes if he felt like it was the only way that A, he could win the war in the Ukraine, and B, it would be very contained and limited so there wouldn't be nukes coming back at him, right? So the legacy of being Peter the Great is incredibly appealing to him. The legacy of destroying the entire planet through a nuclear war or Holocaust um, is is bad. I suspect that he knows that that's bad. So I think that's where he probably draws the line. But again, he's not 
looking at this in the short term. So unless the political forces inside of Russia are powerful enough to say we are wasting so many lives and so much money that this can't continue, it doesn't seem like there are any forces that can really oppose him. You know, he's not going to make his decisions around what happens to Ukraine or subsequent countries he might invade based on the way that we see it. Um, I, I, I think that's a good point. Tell me what, since you since you had this sort of remarkably optimistic view of, of Elon Musk, at least opening the door to a, a, I said a, he was bad for democracy. No, I know. But you, you then went into this thing about like. He's great you know, on electric vehicles. Here's, he really. And by the but, way, but here's something. I used to have a Tesla. It's a great car. Yeah, why did you get rid of it again? Uh, um, Har- Harper didn't like it. Oh, she didn't. No, did she drive it and she didn't like it, or she just she she just sort of always hated it. Really, um, it was a so, symbol of something for her. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we eventually, when the leaks ran out, I got rid of it. Um, what's the optimist case for what happens in Ukraine? That they negotiate some type of settlement that gives Russia a pyrrhic victory of some kind that Putin is willing to accept. And for at least a couple of years, he licks his wounds um, and doesn't attack anyone else. And because he is older, maybe he either dies or is assassinated in the interim. That's the best could get. It, it occurs to me, given what the the defense secretary said, that what is happening in right now in Ukraine is, I mean, it's it's not good for the U.S. in the sense of the human suffering is atrocious and the. Uh, but the but the and, and it's contributing to inflation. Well, for sure. But 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 the if 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 this removes if their policy goal is correct, um, and the and the thinking behind it is correct, and the outcome is what they want, they've basically they've gotten a, a, a far reduced Russian threat out of it. I mean, that's a pretty significant change in the. But in the balance is it of the world. reduced? Is it, I mean, ultimately, the risk for us with Russia is nuclear weapons, right? It's not Russian ground troops. And so if if it's it risk for Europe, for sure. But right, for but, that's, that's, that, but that's 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 us too, right? Because that's, I mean, that's NATO. That's eh, sort of, you know, I would say that the American interest is f- not as furthered, I would argue, by the degradation of Russia's military, as they're saying, simply because the risk to us has nothing to do with their ground troops or anything else. Right. Okay, so now you you have this uh, concept of a um, a fresh start post pandemic COVID amnesty. So COVID just, amnesty. So this is based on nothing other than a thought that popped to my head. And the beauty of having your own podcast is you can have a thought, That's and the then you can purpose of the podcast express it. Right? Yes, so, right. look, it's been a rough two years for everybody, right? Pretty much across the entire globe, everyone's life has been fucked up. If you talk to any educator, there's a woman I know who's a middle school principal, and I said to her, "Okay, so what was the impact of COVID?" And she said, "Every kid." It's behind two years developmentally, emotionally, psychologically, and academically. But that's sort of the least of your problems, to be honest. Right. Um, and that's true for adults, too, right? We're, we're all – our relationships were sort of impacted one way or another uh, by COVID. Um, our, our work, our relationships with both our significant others, our friends, our family, our kids. And for some people, maybe it's all worked out pretty well. You know, if people are speaking honestly, usually if if you talk about your COVID, everyone has one really bad story to tell. At like least, yeah. Some really negative, even if you didn't lose anyone or anything right, else, right. ramification. And I would just say, what if we just said, you know what? Any behavior during COVID, it's just, it's a wash. We're going to forget about it. Clean slate for everyone. You know, you can't hold people totally responsible for what happens in a global pandemic. And as a result... Everyone apologizes to everyone, and everyone just kind of says it's okay, and we move on. 
you really are in like a very like kind of like I don't know what's what the right it's not optimism, but there's a there's a there's like a a, a generosity of human spirit that you're you're exhibiting. Maybe, yeah. I don't think I'm getting too soft. I don't know. I mean, uh, well, the good thing is you present it with a, like a hard edge, even yeah, still. Yeah, I'll curse a little bit more to just yeah, make yeah. it sound tough. Yeah. Um, a fucking amnesty for uh, the pandemic. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. What do, what do you think we should do? Like, 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 how can that be formalized? Or is, so, it, or is it just need to Actually, be you know who could do it? Elon Musk. If Twitter said, like, national amnesty, and they pr- if, if social Wait, media— Wait, so can cancel people come back? What yeah. about what about did you Everyone hear about back. can Bill Murray like get over what he, we don't even know what he did on the set of that movie? Um, yeah, well, Richard Dreyfus. I have to say, oh, no, no, we know what he did to Richard yeah. Dreyfus, but they, they shut down production no, of I that saw. movie. Yeah, um, I would say, look, if someone committed murder or rape or something You're like that, you're not willing that, to go back on that. You, you don't go back. But if right. it's purely that you hurt someone's feelings or they hurt your Isn't feelings, this bail reform? Isn't they have they already done this? <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up in New York. Um, so, but if that at that level, it seems to me that if all the media and social media said National Day Amnesty and some important leader proposed it, um, it could catch on. It might not, but it could. You want to talk about Ron DeSantis and the, the Disney yeah, mess just, in Florida? You know, it, it just to me is the impact of primary. We talk about this in the podcast a lot, but primary politics is so severe and so disconnected from the rest of the country that Ron DeSantis passes this don't say gay bill. Disney opposes it. Disney has had these basic provisions and protections, which, you know, may not be fair or warranted, but they've had them for decades and decades and decades. Right. And he gets them all revoked. Right. right. So, yes, on Fox News, I'm sure he's being celebrated for this. He not only was able to sort of take on the, the gay community, but then when Disney dared to support the gay community, he shut them down, too. However, this is a man who wants to be president of the United States, which means he has to win a primary and then he has to win a general election. Right. Americans love Disney. Um, they really do, and it seems to me. But do they worry about like provisions in the state of no, Florida? No, but mean, but, like, but but if the if the narrative just becomes there's a whole Disney media ecosystem of blogs and websites and Reddit because I, I know because like whenever we do go, I'll look at that stuff like the oh day my before. God, this is such a good Tusk Strategies client. They just all like like imagine if you just marshaled the sort of like Disney lovers of America against DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I have a feeling Disney would not be comfortable hiring us. But um, no, they wouldn't. But the, the funny thing is, I think this thing kind of exists outside Disney us. in yeah. a way. You know, so it's like a, right. But I I think that if the message just becomes DeSantis hates Disney, right. A lot of people like Disney, and given that people make voting decisions based on very little and basically right. just based on sort of their gut reaction to somebody, I, I just think this is one of those things that will come back to haunt them. But it's, got, it's not going to happen by itself, right? Someone really has to organize it and make it, like, you know, really put the, put the point at the end of the spear. You know, yeah. it's like so you know who should do that? His, his primary <laughs> opponents in 2024. <laughs> Trump should be doing that. Well, I don't think Trump is going to give a shit about something like that, though, do you? No, but I think he would want to weaken DeSantis. No, he certainly would, but he's not going to do it in some strategic way. He's going to just yeah, make fun of him on the but, stage yeah, or whatever. Maybe, maybe Larry Hogan or someone else could, could do it. Larry Hogan? Governor of Maryland. Oh, like, oh. He would be like the moderate choice. He's never going to win the primary, but he would be You think good. he's going to go after DeSantis like he, this? He would be a good president. He's a good governor. Um, okay, now we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to get now. I've, I, I warned at the beginning. Well, no, no, the podcast. We, we do Le Pen. Oh, you want to do Le Pen? Oh my yeah. God! Of course. Sorry. Right. I, we should have done Le Pen right after Putin, just to keep it a little yeah. consistent. So, so, um, uh, so uh, the other big news today: uh, Macron beat Le Pen in the uh, French presidential elections, pretty pretty significantly. What fifty eight? Well, to but it wasn't. 42? That's why I want to talk okay. about it. So 
yes, he won a decisive victory. However, in the last election, she got uh, 34. Right. In this one, she got 41, 42. Right. And it seems to me that, yes, she is terrible, and it is great that she was stopped. However, but people have been just, warning about her for years, and yeah, she just but it keeps just getting highlights, her But she still keeps making progress, right? And I guess to me, it just highlights the world that we're living in. And so the, here's what I actually wrote down about this, which is... I thought you might do a rant about why no one gives a shit about what happens in France, but you're not... You're, no, no, no. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm actually using it as a harbinger for the rest of the world in okay. this case. Okay, okay. So we know that across the world, people are unhappy with society, with their life, with their government, all of that, Right. We know that the entire capitalist economy, which I support, um, is based of consumerism, is based on making consumers feel like their life is insufficient unless they buy this car, this beer, right. whatever it is. So the whole point of advertising is to make you feel badly about yourself. Right. Then social media makes it a hundred times worse, right? right? Because A, it distorts reality, right. and B, it shows people what they don't have, right? right? Now you add in income inequality, you add in the fact that nobody trusts institutions anymore, whether it's the government, the media, the church, Wall Street, whatever it is. And what does that lead to? Demagogues, right? And it could be Donald Trump. It could be Marie Le Pen. It could be Victor Orban. Um, but it seems to me that ultimately this kind of toxic mix that we have uh, of social media and feeling and our economic kind of model and income inequality and everything else will just lead to more and more demagogues on both sides, by the way. I think AOC and Bernie Sanders are demagogues, too. Um, but, but ultimately, that's the people who are able to win elections because people are upset. And the other thing is it's why the Republicans are going to win, I think, heavily in November because we're upset. We don't quite know why we're upset. We don't know what to do about it. But one thing we can do is vote whoever's in power out. And that's why you see both the presidency and Congress kind of flipping back and forth. Right. Because it's not a reflection of ideology or values or anything else. It's purely a reflection of, of people are angry. Right. Right. Are we doing uh, rom-coms? I, I got I to call up the list. You got to call up the list? Um, you, I, first of all, I just want to I, I ask why, why a rom-com ranking resonated with you at all. Uh, because it was the rare day where I did not have a lunch meeting. So when that happens, what I like to do is order in some food right. um, and read The Ringer and The Athletic. You do love The Ringer, minutes. don't you? I do like it at, at my desk. Right. And I find that, like, very refreshing. Um, and so, you know, while generally I'm reading about sports, uh, you know, I, I, I and will in, also look at other In general, stuff. when you see these kinds of, like, top 50 this of all time. Yeah, I like lists. Are you, are you, no, but are you instantly, like, critiquing the list and do you get, like, upset or outraged about, like, screw-ups or, or, like, weird things? I mean, I know a lot of people were upset about this list because, like, it basically is all movies from the last 40 years as opposed to, like, the great history of cinema and all the wonderful rom-coms that were made in the 40s yeah. and 50s. No, and I, so. I, don't, I don't give a shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't think you were a big 1940s and 50s movie person. No, I mean, generally speaking, I'm not going to get too worked up about somebody's list? totally subjective list. But I think it's fun. So what I, th I thought we could do okay. is just kind of debate the top 10 and then sort of— You want to debate the top 10. And I'm not going to be able to debate it very well because I think I only saw—I saw, I only saw, I saw 23 of the 50, and I have to say, like— at least half of those I barely remember. So I saw 33, and I would say I remember 
times more than less. Okay, I kind of like like Moonstruck. Like I, I, I definitely have seen it. We just watched that with the kids during COVID. So and I've seen it. Recently. Did they like it? Yeah. Were they like really? And they also like my big frat Greek wedding. Which I've never movie. seen. Good movie. Really? Yeah. Really, so, really good movie. Unironically yeah, good movie. We watched it like two years ago, like during COVID. And Lyle just loved it. The kids both liked it. Well, you know. Okay. I mean, and what <laughs> Moonstruck was great because Lyle was walking around the house going, snap out of it, snap out of it. <laughs> um, all right, good. so That's number good. 10, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Never saw it. So I thought it was really funny. Right. I don't understand why it's not number 47 or something like right. that. It just seems like it's a Judd Apatow movie. It's fun. Wait, it, who's the star of that again? Uh, uh, Jason Siegel. Yeah, and, he's like kind of meh. And uh, Russell Brand. Right. And, People like that. Yeah. I think Jonah Hill. So, not so. I would say mis, misplaced in the top ten. Number nine, the wedding singer. We actually watched that during COVID I've as well. The wedding singer. I thought it was bad. Like I disliked it. Well, aren't, aren't almost it. aren't almost all Andy Sandler Adam Sandler movies Adam bad? Sandler movies bad. Generally speaking, yes. I, I was about to say Andy Sandberg, even though I met no Andy Sandberg's good. No, no, I know Andy Sandberg is good. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like Andy Sandberg. Although I still feel like he's not. He still has failed to really, you know, launch. Yeah, he, yeah, I, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, comedian, I think great. it's harder for comedians. But, but anyway, I, the wedding singer, in my view, does not belong here at all. At number nine, I, I watched Adam Sandler. I watched that movie on a plane. It was bad. Yeah, although I will say the Hanukkah song is still the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. Okay, so um, well for that alone, maybe that's all. You know, but then th- he could have best holiday song, not best right. rom com. Okay. Good point. All right, number eight. I didn't see this one. My best friend's wedding. Did you see it? No. Okay, so we'll skip that one. All right, number seven was Sleepless in Seattle. Again, I thought it was a pretty. Bad movie, like just those movies do so not over the top those, and the, sappy. The, they they do not age well either. The Nora Ephron movies, I have to say, they're they're pretty right. So why is that you got mail is that in the top ten yeah, also? I think yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, okay. I, I, there's a, the top ten to me seems totally screwed up. All right, Notting Hill is number six. I never saw it. Did you, you never see? saw Notting Hill? I, I don't, somehow I just Holy never shit, saw that it. was the one I saw. I know, I know. People love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. It's I, okay. I mean, it's 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 like PQ Grant. You I've know, been to the neighborhood, I've walked around. I've had How lunch did you not there. see that one? Of you saw thirty three of these movies, and you don't see the uh, one with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. You know, that's in the most picturesque London neighborhood. I'm trying to think, I had a really was it the Ledbury? I had a really. I was by myself in London, and I had like a really good. Lunch, where like you know, I just went all in, and it was the restaurant was in Notting Hill. Yeah, Notting Hill's nice. It was nice. It's, yeah. All right, number five, Jerry Maguire. We tried showing this to the kids, and after two sex scenes in the first seven minutes, we had to shut it off. Um, but uh, it's a good movie. I agree, Jerry Maguire's a good movie. It's not the best Cameron Crowe movie. Is it Cameron Crowe? It is Cameron Crowe. Yeah, I mean, Almost Famous is like a hundred times better. I wouldn't say it's a hundred times better. I, I think this story is better. Um, I don't know. I actually wouldn't say it's a hundred. Like, I mean, I like Almost Famous also. To me, that's it's funny. I showed the kids that, and they were like awed by it. Like, literally, couldn't take their eyes off the screen. No, both my kids have ADHD, and neither of them moved for the two and a half hours of that movie. Almost Famous, really? Yeah, they fucking loved it. Wow. All right, so number four is is Clueless, which we also I guess we watched a lot of movies in the pandemic. Um, I guess it's okay. So I don't think it's number I never four. I mean, and I feel like I, I, it's so referenced and everything. I feel like I've seen it, but I've never seen it. So Number three is You've Got Mail. I thought that was just completely sappy and not fun. Weak. Weak tea. Number two is Pretty Woman. It's complicated, right? Because it yeah. was a good movie. When never you saw watched it. it. it was, it's a good movie. 
the message doesn't age well, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? You yeah. know, society has changed. Yeah. So I wouldn't put it number two, but it's a legitimately good movie. They were definitely courting a little trouble without putting that at number two. I think so. Yeah. Number one belongs number one, which is When Harry Met Sally. I actually do think that's the best movie on this list. Yeah, I also never saw so, it. So uh, now I just want to quickly <laughs> swing through. Now, Woody Allen didn't make the list because I, uh, yeah. I guess they canceled him. But but it's interesting they, you know, they, they throw him out, but they let in Pretty Woman. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I guess whoever made Pretty Woman hasn't quite fallen to Woody Allen's lows yet. Um, yeah. I'm going to call out movies that were not in the top ten but I think should have been considered. Go ahead. Um, Groundhog Day, although now it sounds like Bill Murray's about to get canceled. but uh, Well, it shouldn't affect the movie. but n- Nonetheless. Um, Groundhog Day is an all-time classic. I, would, I don't think of that as a romantic comedy, though, do you? No. I mean, is he has a thing with Andy McDowell, but not, not really. Yeah, but it, doesn't, it feels, yeah, it's not really the— All right, Princess Bride, great movie. I don't think of that as a romantic comedy either. No, but I, it is. I really like it. Okay. Yeah. Everybody uh, loves that movie. High Fidelity. You know what? Way. I liked. I liked the movie. I. The, but it, the problem is, you, you can't compete with the book. You can't compete with the book, and also the the movie has that. It's like it's it has a sort of dour kind of bummer feel to it. That like John Cusack kind of has that feel. Although know? he didn't earlier, you know, like like say anything Lloyd, makes the top one hundred. Yeah. And like that's a great movie. Great movie. That, yeah. That's going to be one uh, an omission yeah. in my view. Yeah. Uh, Four year old virgin. I would say that's actually better than uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. My big fat Greek wedding. We watched that. Good movie. Moonstruck. Really good movie. Love Actually. I was surprised was not in the top ten because it seems like it's every. I liked it. and It seems like it's everybody's favorite romantic wow, comedy. I hate Love Actually. Really? Oof. Yeah. Barf. Um, now we get to the great say anything of which I. Here's what I was wondering. Wait, say anything's on there, isn't Number it? Number 25. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he, here's the question with Say Anything that I was wondering. Is it a really good movie, or did it come out exactly in the point in our lives where it spoke to us? Um, I, I think I think, I think think it, it's a little bit of both, but I've seen it fairly recently, and what's great about it is that it's an awkward movie. Like, it's not it's not slick at all, and that's so winning. Like, you, you, yeah. it just, it, it's not, it's not that it's not well written or anything, but like the scenes are definitely like, have a lot of like weird, like not, they're not, they're, they're not like in rhythm. They're like kind of like, yeah. they're, and the, they're almost the, a little cringy. And I would say that the boombox thing is, is at least for our generation, like an did iconic. You do, do you think you did that once? Did you stand outside some girl's house with your boombox? Uh, I think I did not because it felt too derivative. <laughs> um, I've, yeah. made, I've made playlists. Um, Oh, and that, that Peter Gabriel song, too. Like, right. So that's a good one. Yeah. Jesus. Um, something About Mary. Again, I don't know if it's a romantic comedy, but it's a f- funny movie. I agree. Uh, Working Girl was, a, again, very, very good movie. That I think that could have been in the top ten. All uh, right. Mention one more, and then let's move on to the next. On, th- we have, fun. Well, her, Bull Durham totally should be there, right? I guess. I, I, Bull Durham's like one of those movies that's much better in theory than, than reality. Really? I, I, I haven't watched it in a while, but, but I always remember really liking it. Um, all right, I'm going to pick one more that I think uh, should have been ranked higher. I hate that speech he makes about what he believes in. I just can't stand it. Yeah, okay. But people like it, so I'm just, yeah. I must be wrong. All right, last one I'll go with is the Andy Samberg movie Palm Springs, which I really, really Not enjoyed. It, but you I love it. I recommend it. Okay. So. All right. All right. Look, um, you know, I think I think maybe we should we should post a. Uh, 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 a Bradley Tusk top ten rom coms. We're gonna we're gonna put that up on your medium. Yep, we'll do that. I mean, you had asked me uh, to end each podcast with some recommendations of things. Did I ask you that? Yeah, you did. Oh yeah. Okay. So I, I, I mean, I, I think I think my point was that we should have something at the end of the podcast. It's like just a little little present to the readers yeah, of some so, kind. So I, I got a few. So, okay. Good. Uh, for a book, Groundskeeping by Lee Cole. It's a new novel, kind of coming of age. Uh, takes place in Kentucky. Who's the author? Lee Cole. Okay. Um, really good. I just it was, and I kind of, 
found it a little bit by accident. I had no expectations going in at all. So okay. Like, wow, this is great. Um, the TV show Winning Time, I think, has emerged into a pretty good show. This is the Lakers show. Very controversial, though, with the Jerry West stuff. Have you followed that? Yeah, yeah. yeah he obviously is upset about that. Look, he had to be something of a hothead to portray him that way. Well, he definitely it was a, a very high-strung guy, I guess. But I guess the fact that he, 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 he was very contained, though. so They make him seem crazy. Yeah, they make him seem like he's just blowing up all the time, right? Yeah. I haven't seen it, but, but I, the, I'm going to watch it. And what said to me that this thing might be breaking through is my mom asked me if I was watching it. Really? She's not a sports fan at all. And yeah. yet she really likes it. I think it. it is breaking through. I think you're right. Yeah. And then the last thing is uh, a restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, where I was this weekend called Zero George. I would say it's one of the top 10 meals I've ever had. Did you go down there to eat in restaurants down there or did you yeah. have other business? No, I had no no business at all. Oh, we really? Were just, just eating and uh, Charleston around. restaurant cruise. Uh, what was most amazing about Charleston, oh, it's a great city, but it is the absolute mecca of bachelorette parties. Everywhere you go, there are these th- groups of youngish women either wearing special outfits or not, but it's like literally it feels like half the city is bachelorette parties. Wow. Is that a good thing? It was fine with me. Right. You know, I don't really care. Um, it was interesting, you know, as Harper and I, these sort of, you know, snobby Manhattanites to walk around, you know, to figure out who was from Ohio. And, you know, y- you can be very judgmental in that situation, um, like you could at Disney or whatever, but uh, – but Ron DeSantis certainly is. Um, but, you know, uh, Zero George, if you're in Charleston, amazing. That's, that's the Bradley Totally Tuss recommend pick. it. Okay. All right, Bradley. That, uh, that We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll talk next week. Cool. Thanks, you. Bye-bye.